General Dwight Eisenhower is reported to have said, war is a terrible thing, but if you're going to get into it, you have to get into it all the way. What's true of physical warfare is also true for spiritual warfare. One cannot be halfway committed to fighting spiritual battles and expect to win. Yet many today claiming to be disciples of Jesus Christ seem to attempt to do just this. But this isn't a new problem. In the 19th century, the bishop J.C. Ryle saw this and he wrote, The saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fighting in their Christianity. He described many in this day as going through the motions of attending religious service, but, he added, the great spiritual warfare, its watchings, its strugglings, its agonies and its anxieties, its battles and its contests, all of this they appear to know nothing about at all. If we are to persevere in our lives as disciples of Jesus, then it is critical we understand the spiritual battle we are involved in. Right? It's not the spiritual battle we might be involved in, the spiritual battle that could come. It is the spiritual battle we are involved in. We are engaged with a very real enemy who is unseen and seeks nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants nothing but to bring loss, death, and destruction into our lives. If we do not understand the reality of the warfare we're a part of, we will not be able to stand up under the weight and the pressure of the spiritual battles when they come. And stand is what we must do. The key thing we are to do in spiritual battles, it's not so much to advance, but to stand. To stand and fight and keep on fighting. So we're going to look at that today. Open your Bible to Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10. We're going to read through verse 14. should be on page 898 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Scripture says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then in verse 14, stand, therefore. And we'll stop there. The title of the message this morning is simply stand. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Uh, we need your strength. We need your power. In order to be able to stand the weight of the battle, the stress that it produces, the pressure that we face is difficult. And there is for sure a temptation to, to fall down, to give up and to stop. And yet, Lord, you've called us to stand, to do all that we can to stand. And Lord, you have given us armor to enable us to stand Lord, we have to understand the command to stand. To determine in our hearts we'll not give up. To determine in our hearts we'll not back up. determine in our hearts we're not going to stop. We are going to stand. We are going to fight. Because we know what's at stake. Guide us today and let us take this message to heart. And let us be a people. Lord, who not only recognize the spiritual battle we're a part of. But we have determined that we are going to stand. And we're going to do our part. And we're going to fight. The souls of our family and the souls of our church and the souls of our community. We're going to fight for our own soul, Lord. We're not going to give up. Fill me this morning with your spirit and give me clarity of thought. 
clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the passage is most familiar to us because of Paul talking about the armor of God we're supposed to take up. We are going to get to the armor of God starting next week. But this week, I want us to look at an important and oft-repeated word throughout the passage. We put on the armor of God so we can not advance, but so we can stand against the wiles of the devil. We, we put on the armor of God so we can stand in the evil day. And then having done all, to still be standing. Stand, I believe, is an underrated word in this passage. We tend to rush past the idea of standing to get to the armor of God. Which we absolutely need. But we need the armor so we can stand. To stand and stay standing is the goal. Stand in this passage is not passive. It is in fact very active. It's not standing around with our hands in our pockets. It's not standing around with our iPhones taking Instagram pics. It is standing against the wiles of the devil. It is standing and staying standing in the midst of the evil day. It is standing at the start of the battle and saying you will have to go through me. It is standing in the middle of the battle and saying I will not give up and I will not give in. It is standing at the end of the battle saying, I'm still here and I'm still standing. Standing is important because not everybody stays standing. There are many casualties in spiritual battles who fall in the heat of the battle and become casualties of war. Some become emotional casualties. They're discouraged, depressed, downtrodden and defeated. Others bear the marks of being marital and family casualties. Divorce, infidelities, and constant conflict and abuse are some of the scars these believers bear. Others have been morally wounded in the battle. They cannot control their passions, so they make poor moral choices. On and on the casualties go. But we don't want to be casualties. So what we have to do is we must stand. Now part of our standing is we are to stand in the evil day. That's what he says in verse 15. Be able to withstand in the evil day. But what is the evil day? I think there are two ideas associated with the evil day. The first we've already covered. So turn back quickly to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 15 and 16. Ephesians 5 and 15 says, See that you walk circumspectly or wisely, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Now we're to be wise, to be aware, to know what's going on in the world around us because... The world around us is evil. I mean, and we don't have to to go far to see this. Go home and turn on the news, and the news is going to tell you about the evil of our world. Go home and get on the internet and search for different things, and it's going to show you the evil of our world. Evil abounds both small and great in our day. So the evil day, it is every single day. Day of our lives is an evil day. Evil always abounds in our culture. Evil always abounds in this world. And our task is to stand every single day. Because every day is an evil day. But also, I think an evil day, go ahead and turn back to Ephesians 6. An evil day could refer to any day when the pressure of spiritual battles rages especially hard in our lives. These are days when the temptations seem stronger than they are at other times. Do you ever feel that? 
Do you ever feel that there are some days what you're tempted by, it pulls at you especially hard, and it's hard to get it out of your mind? These are days when maybe we feel kind of dull in the brain and we're easier to deceive. You know, some days we're sharp and we recognize something that's a deception from the enemy and we can recognize it and reject it. But other days it seems like it's harder to think clearly and find a Bible verse that supports what we feel or to to find out the answer. That would be an evil day. An evil day might be a day when we feel especially worthless or condemned. There are Satan's an accuser. Ever have days where all you can think about are all the many ways in which you have failed. All of the things you have done. All the wrong in your life. All the ways you have failed the Lord and failed everyone else around you. Where does that come from, I wonder? That is an evil day. There are days when I don't want to stand and I just want to run. I want to go to a cave and hide and never see anyone ever again. Day when we're tempted to flee the battle, to leave where we know God wants us to be and stop doing what we know God wants us to do. That would be an evil day. An evil day would be a day when we just feel like giving up. I mean, we're just so overwhelmed, so discouraged, so frustrated. Nothing seems to work. Nothing's going the way that it should. Why bother at all? I'm just going to quit. That would be an evil day. You probably don't have days like this, but sometimes I have days where I'm very testy and easily angered. And everything gets on my nerves, but not gets on my nerves in a way that's like, I wish they wouldn't do that, but gets on my nerves in a way that is almost impossible for me to refrain from saying or doing something out of anger. That is an evil day. There are some days... Or maybe we just feel like everybody hates us and everybody's out to get us. And everything they say and everything they do, it is an intentional dig at us. Where where does that come from? I wonder. That would be an evil day. An evil day would be a day where we think everyone is doing everything they can to get on our last nerve and they're doing it on purpose. They're just trying to push us over the edge. That would be an evil day. Those Are evil days. And on those evil days. We will consider giving up. And giving in. And not standing. But we must stand and keep on standing. In the midst of those evil days. We're to stand in the midst of spiritual battles. And not give in. And not run away. We're to stand our ground. And continually fight and not give up. Nowhere are we told to retreat. Nowhere are we ultimately told to advance. We're told to stand, to take up the armor of God and stand and fight and keep on standing. Now, this is significant in light of the culture Paul is writing to. When we get into the armor, we'll see the armor Paul uses. These were common accessories for Roman legionnaires, Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers, one of their greatest battle tactics was to stand. It was kind of understood That if the Roman legions would stand their ground and not break rakes when the enemies attacked them, they were invincible. The enemy could not conquer them if they stood their ground and fought. If we as disciples of Jesus will do the same, then when the battle is over, we will still be standing firm. We may be beat down. 
We may be weary. We may be scarred and wounded. But praise God, we will still be standing. We must stand our ground and not flee and not surrender and not give up under Satan's attacks. And that's what it means to stand. As I thought on this, my mind went to a passage in the Old Testament. And we're going to spend the rest of our time there. So turn to 2 Samuel 23. That's page 254 in the Pew Bibles. Now, 2 Samuel 23, the heading of the chapter is the last words of David. David is near the end of his life. Other books that, declare, that kind of detail David's life explain he's not doing so well physically. And as he writes his last words in verses 8 through the next few verses, he begins to talk about his mighty men. His mighty men would be the equivalent of his special forces who helped him win the victories he won as a king. These men were extremely brave. They were great warriors. They were fiercely loyal to David. Pretty much everything we know about these mighty men we find in this passage and in a parallel passage in Chronicles. But we're not going to look at all of them. We're just going to look at verses 8 through 12. These be the names of the mighty men of David, the mighty men whom David had, the Tachemite that sat seat, Chief among the captains, the same was Adino the Ezanite. He lifted up the spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar the son of Dodo the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together in battle and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines till his hand was weary and his hand claved to the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. The people returned. After him, only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herite. The Philistines were gathered together to a troop uh, where a piece of ground full of lentils and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and he defended it and he slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. We only have time to look at some highlights. The two key highlights, verses 10 and 12, that the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day as they stood. In verse 10 it says he arose. And in other translations it says he stood. He stood and he fought and the Lord wrought a great victory. Verse 12, he stood and he fought and the Lord wrought a great victory. That's the lesson for us. The Lord gives victories to those who stand and fight. And that's the important truth for us to grasp. God does not give great victories and work powerfully to those who sit back and do nothing. God does not work powerfully and give great victories to those who give up in the heat of battle. God gives victories and He works powerfully through those who stand and fight. There will always be a part we have to play in fighting spiritual battles. 
We have to stand. We have to fight. But as we stand and as we fight, we're not alone. The Lord fights with us. The Lord fights for us. And as one of the Psalms says, the Lord commands victories for us. So using this passage and these men as examples, I want to show you three ways to stand. Stand alone if necessary. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, in verse 9, defied the Philistines with the others. And when the battle started, it says at the end of verse 9 that the men of Israel were gone away. Everybody left. But Eleazar stood. He stood alone and he fought the battle. I want you to think for a second about what an incredibly amazing act of courage this was. What, what are the odds of one fellow winning a battle against an army? They're not good. Not now, not then, not ever. He was a great soldier. This wasn't a surprise to him. He knew this. He knew the odds weren't good. But he didn't care. It was right. It was the will of God and he was going to stand even if that meant he had to stand alone. He was going to stand alone and fight. He was going to defy the Philistines. They would not. They wouldn't just walk all over the armies of God. He would stand and he would fight and he would die. If that's what needed to happen. Better to die fighting with God. Than to live having fled in the face of battle. Those whom God powerfully works through are disciples who are willing to stand alone. In a perfect world, others will link arm with us and fight alongside us. But we don't live in a perfect world. For a variety of reasons. Sometimes, people we think will stand alongside us abandon us in the midst of the battle. I'm sure he thought the other armies of Israel, surely they would stand as he led the way, but they didn't. So sometimes we, we try to link arms with people. and They don't come alongside. They turn and they run away. And that's terrible. That's shameful. Can I also say that sometimes people don't fight alongside us because our pride prevents us from asking for help? Can I be so bold as to say sometimes we fight alone, not because the world has abandoned us, but because we are too proud to admit to others, I need help. I'm struggling. I can barely stand. I need someone to come alongside me. So sometimes we fight alone because of that. But regardless of why, we're alone. The person that God will work through to command victories for is the person who is willing to stand alone no matter what. Can't you see how our homes and our churches and our communities need disciples of Jesus who are willing to stand alone and fight spiritual battles? I mean, just because the majority is going in a certain way it doesn't make the majority right. The majority ran here in the day 
of battle. But Eleazar stood and Eleazar was right. The majority can often make the wrong decision. And our, our homes, our churches, our communities are desperate for disciples of Jesus who are willing to stand alone in spiritual battles. So are you willing to stand even if you have to stand alone? The reality, if you're willing to stand, if you want to stand and stay standing, you have to be willing to stand alone. Because even if you reach out for help, even if everybody is really wonderful, there will always be times where we have to stand alone. There are just some battles we end up having to face on our own. And that sounds rough, but it's true. Paul said at my first answer, no one stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge, but here's the good news. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that in the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Even though all people abandoned Paul and his stand for the truth, Jesus didn't. Jesus stayed with Paul right to the very end. And when everyone else will forsake us, or everyone else can't help us, our Lord is still with us. There are many times when we'll have to choose between going with the crowd or standing alone. If we want to fight and win spiritual battles, we have to be willing to stand alone. But the good news, again, is we never truly stand alone. Our Lord is always there. He always strengthens us. He always helps us. He is always with us. But we have to be willing to stand alone with Him. The Lord gives victories to those who stand and fight. So we must stand alone. Stand alone if necessary. Stand and, and keep standing. Verse 10, it says that Eleazar arose and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. The King James doesn't quite capture the fullness of what that means. It, it pictures him being basically almost unable to lift his sword again. But I think, you know, imagine, imagine you're, you're given a sword about three feet long and it weighs 10 to 12 pounds. And you're not only holding it, but you're going to use it to swing and stab and deflect other swords from hitting you. And you're going to do it for maybe hours on end. Can you imagine how much, like you just hurt from something like that? In the army... They, they used to torture us with something they called little circles to the front and little circles to the back. And you just hold your arms out and you just kind of do this. You think, well, that's easy. But I challenge you today, go home. Turn on like a Jesus culture song, write these really long songs and do little circles to the front and little circles to the back and see how long it takes. It starts to burn quickly. And if that seems easy, grab a three or five pound weight and do it. And imagine fighting that and being hit and standing up in the midst of that. 
How much he must have hurt from the blows he took. How much his arm must have hurt from swinging the sword over and over again. And despite, despite how sore he was, despite how tired he was, he didn't give up. It says his hand was weary and his hand clave into the sword. And, and it just pictures that he had gripped the sword for so long and for so hard, it was almost like he couldn't let go of it. He refused to quit. He refused to give up. He refused to stop fighting in this battle on that day. Have you ever been weary in the spiritual battles you face? Have you ever felt beat down and exhausted? Feeling like times were the easiest thing in the world to do would be just throw in the towel and quit. Because it just... I mean, how many enemies did he strike down and how many enemies replaced him? No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, it doesn't seem to be making a difference. I think we're all going to face times like that. Because spiritual battles are not easily won. They are not quickly won. Not typically. And in those moments when we are tired, we are beat down, We have to choose to stand and keep on standing. Scripture repeatedly encourages us to keep going and not give up. Of course, the book of Hebrews was written to people who are considering giving up. Life was hard after they came to Jesus. They were thinking about going back to Judaism because things weren't so bad before. The author writes and encourages them to not give up and In the midst of all that he writes, he says, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And basically that verse pictures someone discouraged, defeated. The hands which hang down are hands that are tired of holding on. So they want to give up and let go. Feeble knees or legs almost trembling because of weakness and are nearly buckling. Under the weight of exhaustion and just bearing up under the pressure. Have you ever felt that weak in, in spiritual battles? Like you just, you can't take not one more blow, not one more thing or you're going to, it's just going to kill you. I'm sure we have in one way or another, all of us. We've all had times when we were spiritually weak. Felt susceptible to temptations and thought I might as well just give in because... No matter how many times I resist, it just keeps coming back. We've all had times where our faith was weak. We looked and we said, well, that's what the Bible says, but it just doesn't seem to be working. What's the point? We've all had times where we ran short on our own power and our own resources to do what needed to be done. We thought, I'm just going to quit. I just don't know if I can go on another day or another step. If we've had days like that, that's that's what the author's talking about. That's what he means. The author paints God as a coach, challenging us, encouraging us to push ourselves beyond the limits, what we think we can endure and what we think we can tolerate. Encourage us rather than give up. Stand up. Don't give up in discouragement, defeat, but strengthen your hands. Take a new grip of the sword. Strengthen your legs. 
stand up straight. Just, just don't quit. Just don't give up. Just stand. One of my favorite movies is the movie Braveheart. There's a scene where the Scottish soldiers are about to desert the battle with the British and to stop them. William Wallace gives a stirring speech. And in part of the speech, he says, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one. To come here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives. They'll never take our freedom. Every day we have a choice to make regarding spiritual battles. We can quit or we can go on. To be sure, quitting is the easy way out. And quitting brings some immediate relief. But what's lost? What is lost when we quit fighting? What happens to those we are fighting for? If we quit today, in five years would we look back and wish we could come back to this day and just say, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stand. And we have to choose. We have to choose to say, it is hard. It hurts. But I am going to stand today and I am going to keep standing tomorrow so that at the end of my life I can say I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Winning spiritual battles requires us to stand and keep on standing. There is never victory in quitting. We must refuse to give up. The Lord gives victories to those who stand and fight. And so we must stand and keep on standing. And then thirdly, stand and fight for what matters. Verse 11. It's another time when the... The war wasn't going so good. There was a man named Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a small piece of ground full of lentils, and the peoples fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground. He defended it. The way I read the text, I would assume at first Shammah also started retreating. However, something stopped him and kept him from continuing his retreat. Now remember, the Philistines were fighting in the land of Israel. This was land that their God had given to them. The Philistines were always trying to take what belonged to the people of God. And at various times, they were successful. I believe Shammah was... Retreating from the battle, he looked down and he saw the lentils, just beans, not even all that important. It was something his people had planted. He remembered he wasn't just a soldier in any army. 
He was a part of King David's army. And he was a servant of the Most High God. This was land their God had given to them. When he saw and he remembered these things, he said enough. He was tired of letting the enemy take what belonged to them. Land God himself had given to them. He wasn't going to let it happen anymore. So he stopped in the middle of the field. He planted his feet and he raised his sword and he determined to fight, to die if need be. And as I I was thinking about this passage in my mind's eyes, I imagine how it went as he was running. He was thinking what what a terrible day this had been. Certainly was not the way he expected the battle to go. But as he's running, he looks down and he just sees what his people had planted in land his God had given them. He just kept thinking about the army of whom he was a part, how mighty his God was, how much the enemy had already stolen and destroyed from Israel, how many Israelites they were slain. He began to be indignant. Who were they to come into our land? Who are they to come against our God? The longer he thought about it, the angrier he became until he reached his boiling point. When that happened, he stopped running, he drew his sword, he faced the Philistines and shouted, No more. You'll not have this piece of land, for God has given it to Israel. He waited on the Philistines to come, and when they came, they were in for a surprise. What What they... What they found was not a cowardly Israelite who couldn't run. They found a mighty warrior for God who was going to stand and keep on standing. He was going to stand for what was right and he was going to stand for what was theirs. Can't you see how our homes and our churches and our community need disciples like this? Our homes, our churches... Our community is need disciples who are sick and tired of the enemy winning in their lives, in their homes, in their church, and in their community. Disciples who will stand and say, no more, no more. You're not going to take and destroy my family. You're not going to destroy my church. You're not going to destroy my community. For I'm a child of the Most High God. Let me ask you, if you won't fight, who will? If you won't fight for your wife, who will? If you won't fight for your husband, who will? If you won't fight for your children, who will? If you won't fight for your grandchildren, who will? If you won't fight for your church, who will? If you won't fight for our community, who will? If you won't fight for the souls of your co-workers, who will? If you won't fight for the souls of your friends, who will? Let me tell you who will. Satan will. I guarantee you, Satan will. In fact, make no mistake, he is already fighting for them. He's fighting for their souls. He is fighting to win. If you don't think Satan is already at work looking for ways to attack your marriage, your children, your relationships, your church, and everything else good in your life, you are deceiving yourselves. 
Scripture defines Satan as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is always on the hunt. He is always looking for a weakness to explore. He is always looking for a way to steal, kill, or destroy. And when we do not stand and fight for what's important to us, we leave them for Him to attack and destroy. The Lord gives victories to those who stand and fight. But it is to those who stand and fight. We have to do the hard work of standing and the hard work of fighting for what's important to us. God can powerfully work through those who are willing to work hard at standing and work hard at fighting for what's important to them. To do this, we have to remember, as Nehemiah said in the passage I read at the start of the service, remember our God, great and awesome. Remember His power. Remember His glory. Remember His worthiness. He is worthy of our devotion. Remember His greatness ensures He can enable us to overcome any obstacle. He can defeat any foe. Remember what we're fighting for. We are fighting for our sons, our daughters, our wives, our homes. We're fighting for the eternal soul of our friends, our relatives, our associates, and our neighbors. What we're fighting for, it's worth the pain of the fight. And make no mistake, it is painful. It is hard to stand and keep on standing. But it is worth it for what we're fighting for. The Lord gives victories to those who stand and fight. So we must stand and fight for what matters. There's one more thing to point out and we'll close. It says at the end of verse 10. That after Eleazar fought. That the people returned but only to spoil. Now this paints it in a bad light. And here's what happens. Eleazar stands and he fights alone. And after he's won and there's great spoil. The people all come back. And take part in the victory even though they didn't have a part in the battle. And it's painting it in a bad light. But I want you to see it in a positive light. People we fight for that don't fight will get to take part in the victory that God gives through us. The blessing that God pours into us because we stand and keep standing. It overflows into other people around us. Those who don't fight. Those who run away. Those whom we're fighting for. Get to be a part of what God does. Others will be blessed because of the victory the Lord gives to you. As you're willing to stand and fight. That's a good thing. Let me ask you, what will be the results from your faith? The way that you have stood and fought spiritual battles. Will others benefit and be blessed because you stood and fought for them? If you want them to be, you're going to have to stand alone when necessary. You're going to have to stand and keep on standing. You're going to have to stand for what matters. Let's stand. And we want to have a time to pray.
And the altars will be open if you want to come to the altars or you can pray where you are. But we want to have a time. Maybe you're here and you're in the midst of a battle and you just need God to give you strength. Just keep on standing. And you pray that way. You pray that God would help you to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. To help you to stand. If you need God to remind you of what you're fighting for, pray and say, help me to keep in focus how important this battle is. If you need God to just give you some encouragement and strength to let you know He's here, He's with you, cry out and say, oh God, I need you in this time. But whatever you need, whatever... You desperately need from God at this time. You cry out to God. If you want to, you can come to the altar. If you can pray where you are. The great need right now, though, is just to cry out to the Lord.